0: Are you in a rut, stressed by the demands of your personal, professional, and social lives? Join lifestyle guru, Pauline Brown, right now for Tastemakers.
1: That's really where people can really make the celebrated individual the centerpiece. She
0: invites her friends to share tips of the trade and new ideas for bringing out the best in you.
1: My real passion is style, and not just style, but design, beauty, all things aesthetic.
0: Turn the mundane into the memorable with Pauline Brown on Tastemakers.
1: Hello and welcome back to Tastemakers. I'm your host, Pauline Brown. This week, we are going to be flipping the script a bit. I have a good friend joining us today. Uh, She is not only a successful entrepreneur or as she calls it, passionpreneur. She's also a media personality, but she's not here primarily for those two reasons. She's here to serve as a host of sorts on today's show. She'll be joining me in exploring a concept that that I personally have been contemplating for years, maybe even obsessing about. The concept is aesthetic intelligence, or um, what I prefer to call the other AI. And we'll be talking about what aesthetic intelligence is, why it matters, how it applies to business. And given Jen's facility with media work, she is going to be the primary interviewer, and I am going to be the interviewee on this one. Please join me in welcoming my guest, whose first name I already gave away, Jen Bolden. I'm just gonna share in these next couple of minutes a little bit about Jen. As I mentioned, she's a, a successful entrepreneur. She's built her career um, in the world of sustainable business. She is currently a, um, I think what's well described as a green living expert and an eco entrepreneur. She car- runs a firm called Hire You which helps uh, social impact entrepreneurs spark movements. Uh, We'll hear a little bit more about that in a moment. Uh, Earlier in her career, um, uh, she's done a lot. Uh, Early, Much earlier, she uh, was working in marketing strategy for companies like IBM and Hearst. Um, Then she became a marketing executive at a number of venture-backed internet companies, and this is Internet 1.0. And then, in two thousand and five, she co-founded a company called Ideal Bite, which uh, was ahead of its time. Um, it catered to what she called light green consumers. and um, And then she sold that. So it grew very quickly. By two thousand and eight, she sold it to the Walt Disney companies. and was with that, and she's been basically an independent ever since leaving Disney. Uh, if the name is familiar, it's because she is a spokesperson for a number of brands that are uh, doing well by doing good. And she has appeared on Good Morning America and the Today Show and Martha Stewart Living and others. And um, she is joining us from her home in Santa Barbara, with uh, where she lives with her, her children, which include human children and furry children, <laughs> which we have another commonality. I told her I have to have her back on the show to talk about furry children. So welcome, Jen.
0: Why, thank you so much, Pauline. So good to be here. And I love that we're uh, switching seats because your show is called Tastemaker. So how could you, the ultimate tastemaker, not be interviewed?
1: (laughs) Well, it's it's interesting you say that. I I am of the mind, and we're going to talk about this later in the show when it comes to this concept of aesthetic intelligence, that everybody has a lot more taste, good taste, than they know and than they use. Yeah. And, uh, and so again, we'll get back to that. So I sort of think of myself, yes, I am a tastemaker, but I, that's because I'm human <laughs> and I have the confidence to say it. And if I uh, do my job correctly, everybody should be calling themselves a tastemaker as well. Love it. Uh, so just a few minutes on you. Um, let's start with the current. Hire you? So you work with entrepreneurs on sparking movements. These are social movements. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk to me, give me a case study of a client of yours, if you could, that was trying to spark a movement, came to you, and, and how one actually can spark movements around them? Sure. That's a great question. So Hire
0: You, we t- we work with people that really have that like deep passion for changing and disrupting so that they can bring about a better way right and so it's impact and it's income mm-hmm. and we kind of give them the roadmap and and so now what i was able to do with ideal bite which was start a movement around light green right and the whole the whole concept of that was really just giving people a place to feel at home in doing small things that that would add up versus having to sell their house and live in a yurt or do something extreme, right? We said that our subscribers to the daily email would drive their SUVs to Whole Foods and that's just fine. So mm-hmm. people are like, wait, that's me, right? So they joined the movement. And I remember in 2005 for signing up for the email, it, it literally didn't say sign up for our newsletter, it said, join the movement. People want to be part of something larger. And so for the businesses that can tap into that power, we're giving them the playbook. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for example, we had a student Monique and she helped women invest in real estate. And she came into our course and was like, here's the thing, like I just feel like we can grow, like we we can grow, but the marketing is is stagnated. Mm -hmm. And so by working through the kind of repositioning her brand with the larger movement of, of really getting women's mindset shifted and in fact the whole kind of investment world shifted so that women have not only a seat at the table but can lead certain aspects. Then that becomes a movement unto itself. And so she is deconstructing an existing framework of finances and women don't mix. Yeah. And she is empowering the women to then say, no, let me give you the 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 inspiration and the guides and of course my personal story of how i broke through mm-hmm. in order to be a multimillionaire to be able to invest in real estate giving myself and all of my current clients women financial sovereignty right mm-hmm. so that's a that's a that's a shift mm-hmm. she didn't have to change what she was delivering but she changed how she was marketing and then usually if that goes successfully then you do start it, it has the trickle down effect into the whole user experience say of, of how she's delivering it
1: so going back to uh, your story and your journey um you were based in new york when mm-hmm. you were in this company and then you had a sort of a wholesale change you sell to disney mm-hmm. you leave disney you are now in santa barbara in mm-hmm. Wine country this mm-hmm. is not Heart of LA, so it's not New York ish, it's quite different. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know you have alpaca and all sorts of nature <laughs> around you. Was this an aesthetic decision on your part?
0: Yeah, and experience, right? Like, I just wanted the experience. I knew, you know, in my Um, in my twenties and my early thirties, I had the energy to be in New York and to do the things and to get all of the experience and the credibility I would need to ultimately live more in line with my values. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that also means bringing that into business. I just, you know, I'm not sure about reincarnation. So I try to do this life as good as I can. Mm -hmm. And so um, I knew that like, once I had the experience and I could stand on my, own, um, meaning like, Hey, I, I, I did the New York thing was successful at those startup businesses and then took it into my own life. And then funny enough, all the brands that I have built say from this kind of farmhouse always have an element of that in it, Mm -hmm. right? Just because it's something unique and different and can't be replicated easily by other people.
1: So my my final question for you, um, and and here this is going to be a good segue to sort of switching gears on the interview interviewer. Um, so you migrated. You, you're really in addition to the advisory work you do today, you're a media personality, as I described earlier. And there are not that many people who go from being successful business people and operators, founders, you know, builders, as you were to actually being communicators, which is essentially what you do that spans both these hats. Um, And I I feel like I've made that transition as well. I'm still making it um, and still kind of straddling. Was there always a push for you to reach a larger audience? And why, why media? And what else do you see going forward? Great question,
0: 100%. A million percent. Yes. There was always a push to reach a larger audience because what, because we were, we were building a movement and for a movement to reach a tipping point, you need math. You need to hit that critical mass. You need to hit as many number of people and, and, and kind of shape shift their minds and their uh, activities as much as possible.
1: Mm -hmm. And,
0: you know, um, what is it that necessity is the mother of invention? We were, we were an underfunded startup. And so, you know, did we have a million dollars to invest in a gorgeous marketing campaign to go get these subscribers and, the, and, and build the brand awareness and all the things? No. So I was like, mm, scratch head, what can I do? And I'm like, it's PR. It's mm-hmm. PR. That's the only thing I'm going to be. Able, we're going to be able to do to lift ourselves out of the unknown into the known and have this movement take flight. Mm-hmm. And so I just used my um, kind of common sense, mm-hmm. um, like you do. You're like, okay, at the end of the day, we're all just humans. How do we empathize? And so I started empathizing with the. Um, media outlets and I'm like, man, they have to come up with a lot of stories every single day. What if I not only pitched a new story, but then helped them formulate, you know, what it would look like and even just kind of give them quotes in advance, et cetera. And so I was just like very gritty and I guess creative and persistent about press, knowing that that was going to be the thing that like flipped the switch. And um, I have to say that I got lucky when they did ask me to like, I remember doing my first live, you know, interview um, on a national show. I think it was on the Today show. And it was like this adrenaline rush. And it was like, we had so much fun. And like, for what, I guess I have a lot of energy and you need that when you're on camera because the camera takes away a little bit so that you would, other people might, you know appear like flat, but my obnoxiousness somehow translated well <laughs> on television and then I kept getting asked back. So that was a stroke of luck that like that my my personality worked and my kind of, you know, think on my feet. But the other thing that worked for media, really honestly Pauline is the credibility factor because when we when I'm talking about light green living, I'm just sh- 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 talking about something that I had lived my whole life, mm-hmm. right? And so that, that really came through. Mm -hmm. And that's why they continued to ask me back is like Sam Champion, I used to do a a GMA, Good Morning America regularly because he knew he could ask me anything Mm -hmm. and he would get a solid answer
1: something that I didn't have to just study the night before, you know? Well, um, and I will say, and this is not luck. It also helps a great deal that you're so telegenic. You're quite beautiful Um, Help for TV. Uh, which explains why I'm on the radio. Um, no, please. So, but, 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 and, and that is a perfect segue what you have just said, not what I said, but what you have just said as to the heart of the show, which we will get to as soon as we get back from the break, which is this idea of, uh, in in my case, the one thing that I have some amount of expertise from my business experience that I am now trying to spark a movement around, which is the power of aesthetics to transform companies and mm-hmm. what this idea of aesthetics is, and how people can tap into their own. And you were so resourceful in uh, when I gave you an opportunity to come on the show and talk about any number of things we could have talked about in saying, well, this will be good for your listeners. So I thank you for that. Uh, I hope you all will stay with us, because when we're back, we're going to dive into the power of aesthetics, what it is, why it matters, and how you can apply it to business and beyond. So stay with us.
0: Now, more with Pauline Brown on Tastemakers on Sirius
1: XM stars. Hello, welcome back to Tastemakers. This is Pauline Brown. I'm here today with a delightful friend. Her name is Jen Bolton. She is uh, participating from Santa Barbara. She is so interesting and so accomplished in her own right that I feel uh, kind of funny asking her to be interviewing me. But we do share a real conviction and curiosity on this concept uh, that I introduced a couple of years ago in the form of a book and a course called aesthetic intelligence. So I'm gonna turn it to Jen, who's gonna lead the discussion and hopefully she'll have a lot to contribute as well on what aesthetic intelligence is and why it matters and how you at home can develop your own set of, of aesthetic intelligence uh, with the right practice the right the, and, and the right discipline. So over to you, Jen. Thank you, Pauline.
0: I want to give a little bit of a backdrop that when I read your book, I really felt like I had found like my doppelganger. But you went off into fashion and, and, and luxury brands, and I went off into the internet. And it was so interesting to see you know these these common threads and how they manifested and have really you know helped our career and our, our lifestyle um and but it took entirely different paths mm-hmm. so when when you were so nice to invite me onto the show i was like I-, I don't know if i have much to contribute i would actually rather ask you questions and so it was just genuine because i think that it is the undiscovered superpower, no matter if it's for your business or if it's for your life. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've had people, and I'm sure you've had thousands of people ask you, how, like, how can I do this? And while, you know, of course, the answer varies so much on the person, it's something that actually does have these core underpinnings. That's what I wanna get at for the listeners today, right? It's like when you walk into somebody's house and you can't put your finger on it, but you feel good and it Mm. represents that person Mm -hmm. and it, you know, the energy flows and the conversation flow and it's like, how, how did you do that? And people ask me that when I'm walking in the house and it's, it's, it's an interesting kind of layered discussion. So like, let's go through the
1: layers, shall we? Let's go through the layers. And I love (laughs) you started with another shared passion of ours, which is home decor. And by the way, when I think of home decor and I've seen pictures of your farmhouse, by the way, which is exquisite I don't care when I walk in someone else's home if that is my taste if I would want to live in that space what I care about is that I get a full sense of who that person is of the experiences they've had of what feels energizing or comforting to them Um, and it's it's the authenticity and it's the expressiveness that excites me You know, and I would even say within my own home, how I want to feel when I'm in my bedroom is quite different than how I want to feel when I'm in a family room. Um, And I allow those different sides of me to come out in different rooms. And clearly your love of nature has come out in, you know, in in full force in your farmhouse and around it.
0: Yes, yes. In fact, I designed as many windows as possible because nature does something that we can't, and it is um, actually been studied. It's called biophilia. Mm -hmm. And um, for example, patients in hospital rooms with windows versus not, Mm -hmm. the ones with windows and can see a park and a tree and all the things, they heal faster. Mm. So I'm certainly, big fan of nature, natural elements, etc. cetera. And the easiest way to get that is to let, to let the light in and whatever beautiful views you have. Um, but yes, so let's kind of start at the top just to like frame aesthetic intelligence mm-hmm. and how it might touch all of us, whether you are in the midst of raising kids, redesigning your home, or um, starting a business
1: or running a brand? Mm -hmm. Well, so people often ask me, what is aesthetic intelligence? Which is a fair question. Uh, They know what emotional intelligence is and they certainly know what, you know, intellectual or, or, or or cognitive intelligence is. Um, and I say that this is quite different, that there are different parts of the brain that are being activated and cultivated to have it in a word, it's taste, right? Mm -hmm. It's not artistry. You don't need to be a creative person. you don't need to have a craft. Uh, you don't need to have a degree in fine arts to be to have extraordinary taste. What you do need is to be very in touch with how things feel to you and by things I mean sensorial inputs. Mm-hmm. Um, and the And the other point I'll make around and and I was very mindful in using the word aesthetics and not beauty, not design, because implicit in those is visual elegance, right? And aesthetics isn't simply about visual. Typically, it is visually pleasing, but it doesn't even have to be. Aesthetics comes from the Greek word aesthetikos, which is uh, literally translated as perception of the senses. So an aesthetic experience lifts, if not all five senses, certainly several of them. If you think of an, a, an, a, a restaurant, if you think of your favorite restaurant in the world, uh, it is, you know, and I asked you why you like that restaurant. Of course, you're gonna like the food. You won't pick it if the food is bad. But there's so many good restaurants with exquisite food. There's a reason that one is your favorite. And if I pushed a little harder, you might say, well, the decor, I like how I feel when I walk in. I like the paneling, I like the seating arrangements. People are very aware of certain visual cues. There's a lot of cues and a lot of stimulus happening that we're only somewhat aware of. And we have to spend a lot of attention to realize, well, maybe the acoustics is having a difference in how, so that we can actually hear the person that we're talking to, but there's still energy, right? It doesn't feel dreary. Maybe the lighting, the temperature of the lighting, the fact that it's not so bright that I feel fluorescent and unattractive, but it's not so muted that I can't read the menu or see other people around me. These kind of aesthetic stimulus really come together to create a very exciting and enjoyable, uh, a curated experience. I know we're gonna talk about curation. Mm -hmm. But to get back to this idea of what is aesthetic intelligence, it's about taste and it's about knowing what your taste is. And ultimately it's applying it to how you live and how you work and as much of your own personal experiences as, as possible.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, my, my good friend, we get to have a monthly girls night, you know, dinner. And she said, I'm only going to suggest restaurants where the food is fantastic, like over the top, because she's a foodie. And the ambiance is amazing, because that's how she knows I ultimately pick right. And that's just what you said. And of course, the lighting, I can't uh, not say that like I, I don't care how good the food is if there is fluorescent overhead lighting I categorically will not go right <laughs> especially after you reach a certain age
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it is you know how you feel or how others around you look which is generally not good it is also that going back to your point about nature and how healing it is fluorescence is the antithesis of nature and it actually is toxic in a way i mean it's not yeah. literally toxic as far as i know but it 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 projects onto you a, a sort of a, a, almost a radiation like effect that yeah. is discomforting it's noise and yeah. the idea is always to bring things together all these different cues which people call ambiance yeah but when i get into aesthetic intelligence the idea is how do you break down what we somewhat sloppily call ambiance into the right. elements that comprise ambiance.
0: Yes. Yes. Thank you for unpacking ambiance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning so much already. Okay, excellent. So then what has this is I feel like it's almost a sleeping giant of of a discussion, you know, and that all those people that that kind of haven't Really understood why they might feel comfortable in that person's home, or why they prefer that brand versus the other when the product is pretty much the same. You know, can you? Why do you think it's mostly un, undiscovered
1: as a topic? I think there's a bunch of reasons, and I think it's even more acute in in the business world mm-hmm. uh, than it is uh, in people's private domains. I, I have seen time and again executives who, senior executives, CEOs, and others in the C-level, I go into their office, and it expresses one side of who this person is. It tends to be impersonal, it tends to you know, have a lot of heavy wood, uh, has maybe a few pictures, but if they are, they're sort of in a professional context. It's a very uh, controlled environment. Um, I go into their home, and I feel a completely different essence of who this person is, and I wonder, is that because when they're in the office, they are a different person? Well, if they are, that's a shame because we only have one life to live as far as I know. And why not bring as much of yourself to wherever you go? Is it because the typically these executives are male and the home is considered the female realm and their wife or partner, female partner is typically the one responsible for? Maybe, but I also think it's because we live in this world that's very compartmentalized. And, you know, and, and I was compartmentalized when I started my career. Who's Here's my professional identity, and here's who I am on weekends. Mm-hmm. Or here's who I am that my friends know. Or here's what I read when it doesn't matter for my career. And there really wasn't much connectivity between those two. And especially as I got older and then started to have kids, I felt more and more of a divide and more tension between this and, and and people would always ask the question, and they ask it of women a lot more than men. How do you do it? How can you have it all? How do you have kids? And I always at some point I said, you know, you have to have an assimil, you have to have like a, a synergistic existence. And the more I could bring who I am to my workplace, and the more I could seamlessly come back home and not feel that I had to wash off who I was by day, the less stressful it became to make it through those days. Um, that said, I worked in industries, fashion, cosmetics, that allowed for more personal expression than, say, had I worked throughout my career in banking or in law. And I, you know, and I feel that, going back to your question, why are people not more connected with this power? Partly because this male archetype, this male way of thinking, which is very rational and very uh, analytic, continues to prevail, especially in big businesses. And I think until we, we, we break that down, there'll always be an added level of stress for most people, but particularly for working women.
0: Really well said. There's, I think, so um, many of us suffer from that um, dualistic kind of, um, living, you know, (laughs) and compartmentalized. And now there is at least in kind of the, at least in California and kind of like the, the woo woo meets, meets (laughs) business world. There is this topic of integration and (laughs) it is how to live your whole self authentically. And you don't change who you are and you don't change your, You know, decisions, your values, et cetera, based on the environment that you're in, Mm -hmm. and and it just obviously brings so much more um, alignment. Again, I don't know if this is sounding too woo-woo
1: for the non california alignment. And and (laughs) what I'll make on aesthetics and alignment is there's alignment between who we are in our different spheres, and there's also alignment between how you express yourself in any sphere and what your genuine values are. So mm-hmm. let's go back to the home example. My least favorite kind of house, and I've been in some very expensive versions of this, are when you walk in and it feels like a showroom for a brand. It's top to bottom restoration hardware or pottery barn or you know some fancy Italian brand or Ikea, whatever it is. The idea that I would go into a store and tell some salesperson, just do my house. Yeah. And even I've been in very uh, affluent people's homes and they have their professional decorators buying coffee table books because they're just for show. They're not even books that they would ever open or read or have a particular interest in the topic. they just probably the designer like the color of the cover or something. And I just think there's something so disingenuous. Who wants to live? It's like going to sleep in a suit or something. It's, it's, this is not who you are. And the beauty of, of, of a home is the richness of all your different experiences, the experimentation that comes from even making mistakes. You know, I've bought mm-hmm. plenty of pieces of art that didn't work on that wall, but they still express something about where I've been and what I loved for at a moment in time. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, that, that, that's, that's why going, going back, I think this idea that um, if you can you you're really good aesthetics, are manifestations of who we are and what we believe, and um, and if even if brands try to come up with the best aesthetics in a boardroom setting, or they off they offload it to an ad agency or a creative house, it always reeks of disingenuity. You right. Know, it, it isn't really what whoever is uh, setting the tone in the culture believes, and I think consumers have become really smart so it doesn't work and going back to your question why do some people buy you know if if i buy a chanel lipstick instead of the revlon lipstick and i'm spending four times as much on the chanel and it really doesn't make my lips any more red than the revlon one but it does something for me in terms of in terms of the the details of of how that double c might be engraved in the wax or the weight of the cylinder or even the imagery of a Coco herself that makes me feel a certain way. And right. we know from studies that about 85% of why consumers buy a particular product over all the other options they have that to del- deliver pretty much the same functionality is how it makes them feel. But okay. so few marketers are focusing on how things make others feel.
0: Right. I think that we're in the moment of in time of transitioning You know, from that like, you know, a gazillion choices, high commodity, high profit, high sales, and really starting to think more about the experience and how it makes people feel. And I do believe that the businesses that can develop expertise are the ones that are going to win. And it was just, again, so interesting reading your book and like a little bit going, patting myself on the back of like, oh, well, that was just something that I kind of did. I didn't, again, out of necessity because we weren't super well funded, but I thought, you know, from a, from a competitive advantage standpoint, how can we develop a brand that is inimitable? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, I'm kind of, I mean, each human being is inimitable. And that's what you're speaking about too with interior design and home decor is I don't want to walk into somebody's house. If all they did was just copy the restoration hardware catalog, like sure. Start there for a few pieces. If you need a directional, you know, insights, but that is uh, um, I unfortunately, I feel like people don't have confidence in right. themselves to bring forth themselves and think that they need to fit a mold. Same way I'm sure you saw so much in fashion, right?
1: Oh, yeah. And it's, it's sad because it's exactly what you just said. I get this question all the time. Well, can you really develop taste or are you just born with it? Mm-hmm. And I say a little, that's a little bit like saying, can you, can, you, can you actually develop good muscle tone or are you just born with it? Well, not anyone can be an Olympic athlete. In fact, very few people were born with the right dimensions and the right you know, genetics and the right... And of course you still have to do the training. But 100% of the population, if I took whatever their regimen is today, their dietary regimen, their uh, physical, uh, physical fitness activities and so forth, and I even made modest improvements uh, in, in, all, in all those different facets, In 30, 60, 90 days, they would be healthier than they were today, right? Mm -hmm. That is just the law of human nature. Mm -hmm. And I sort of say people are born gifted. Uh, I would never have the ear of a Bob Dylan who can hear the poetry and music, um, or even the rhythm and the sort of um, some of the the poetic uh, capabilities of a Kanye, right? He's very gifted in a very particular area. Uh, I will never have the culinary abilities, no matter how hard I ever tried, of a uh, Alain Ducasse, a great chef, right? Because he's just born with, probably he's a super taster. He can envision flavors and, and the fragrances and so forth and how it can come together. He's got a gift, and, we, and I accept that. But I can tell you that anything I spend energy on gets better over time. That's and right. it's a choice that I make about how I'm going to spend my energy. And I have spent a lot of time, I was not born... As a fashionista, even though I rose to a fairly high level in the global fashion sector, I spent a lot of years studying trends, understanding fabrication, not making clothes and doing the artistry, but understanding it and appreciating it and under, and and even down to the 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 sort of the tailoring and being able to hold a piece of cloth and understand what's well constructed and what's not. And that's the kind of skill set that that I believe everyone can can learn if they if they care to Um, and so we only have so much time on this earth and i don't expect everyone to become a connoisseur in all areas right but i think if you care and you spend you know the time and you and and it starts from within that's the other thing the process i just described in the fashion industry was very much an outside in i was observing Mm -hmm. great designers and Mm -hmm. and 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 you know visionaries but if you just stay within yourself, how it feels and looks good to you. You know, why Why does a, maybe a, a, a silky fabric feel better on your fingers than a knitted one or a mohair? Why does the color blue or green make you feel calmer, or more um, rested than a vibrant, red and orange and how do you want to feel and what colors can you use to elicit that feeling? I mean, that's just a very personal process, but one that you have to start from within. And I do believe everybody is capable of growing quickly and and in very powerful ways.
0: Yes, and we need to, I think, have confidence in our kind of individuality, no matter what it ends up looking like. And remember, there's no end, it's just a process and we're like evolving. And there's no perfect. There's no perfect. And there's no perfect. And there's no perfect. Yeah, and so I remember when I was first illuminated to the kind of idea of interior design and home decor, I walked into somebody's house and I asked, oh, oh, oh my gosh, like, so where do you shop? And he looked at me and he was like, honey, it's a very curated look, and I'm like, okay, I was in Atlanta, and they, you know, <laughs> and um, and I was like, curated, curated, curated. Wow, that's a that's a superpower if you can mm-hmm. develop it. And then that was a core concept right. in, in and a theme in your book um, that kept coming out.
1: And so I would love to just spend a few minutes um curation, on, oh, yeah, yeah, curation. So let me just say that you know there are four pillars you know, in, in, my, in the process for me because I really didn't want people to walk away after having read the book or taken my course feeling like this was an important concept, but one that others have and that they didn't know where to begin. I really wanted it to be a practical guide. So I sort of deconstructed what is taste and where does it come from and how do you know, people who have it get there. And I broke it down into four basic concepts. Of course, there's a lot of different steps within each of those, which we don't have time to get into, but the, the curation is the final one. And it's often where people fall short who start the process. So the first one is just what I call basic attunement. If you just start to listen to what your senses are telling you and a little bit un-numb yourself, because we live in a world, particularly those of us who live in urban environments, that Forces us to be numbed because if we weren't, we couldn't get through the day. We're numbed mm-hmm. to noises that we're hit with. We're numbed to the fact that we can't spend our that many hours in nature, or we're sitting under fluorescent light. Again, whatever the case is, we learn to block. And so the first step is in the right moment to unblock and start to realize not just where some of these good sensations are coming from in ways that you may or may not have appreciated, but where these offensive or, or or somehow distressing ones are coming from. So that's the first step. It's a little bit like becoming a baby again. Because by the way, when my son was little, if the tag was scratchy in the back of his T-shirt, mm-hmm. there was no way he was wearing it. And he, mm-hmm. You know, I don't even notice tags anymore. So you have to become like your child self. The second step is what I call interpretation, which is not just what am I feeling, but how do I feel about what I'm feeling? Mm-hmm. Or, or I should say, how do I feel about what I'm sensing? So going back to the color concept, there are people who are very drawn to muted colors. They love the sort of fluidity of going from maybe a beige to a nude to a gray. I'm not one of them. I like contrast. I like the tension that comes from bringing two colors that aren't paired together, You know, maybe a fuchsia and a bright orange in one moment. Um, it, to me, it, it, it is energizing. And the point is not which is a better color combo than the other. It's what makes you feel how you want to feel in that moment. And that's an awareness and that's an interpretation. And the same I could say about taste. There are salt, dry, salt lovers and there are sweet lovers. Even within sweet, there's chocolate and sweet. There's you know vanilla sweet. So getting as close to how you, and, and actually being able to describe those feelings, which takes me to the next step the third of the four steps, which is articulation. So even at the highest levels of education, I find people's communication can be very vague. And I say that a lot of the power of aesthetics is in the specificity. Mm-hmm. So if I, if you had a great meal and I said, what well, was great. And you just said, well, the food was so tasty. And I said, well, that's great, but I'm listening to that. And I don't know what that tastes like. I want you to tell it to me such that someone who's never been to that restaurant or had that meal can envision it. You have to give me a lot more specificity about what you were experiencing, what flavor combinations, you know, uh, maybe even what textural combinations, right? So, um, So that's the articulation piece. And then the last one, which is the one you asked me on, is curation, which is how does it all come together? So the problem that people have with curation is they often think of the parts and, and and they bring parts together, but they don't think of the sum of the parts. So going back to my food analogy, if you had guests over on Saturday night and you wanted to make a really wonderful meal and you said, okay, I love lemon zest. I always enjoy lamb. I kind of like chocolate too. Like you wouldn't take your 10 favorite ingredients and just put it in a pot, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for the same reason, w- w- when you're decorating a house, you don't just take everything you ever loved and put it in the center of the room. Curation is about this art of understanding how things work together, and what gets eliminated, um, and and how things evolve. And it's sort of like telling a story, right? There's a there's an architecture to a good story with where it begins, with maybe where there's friction, with how it concludes, and that's and and I think. Um, Understanding then how to take all those elements that you liked and now have been able to articulate and pulling them together in a context that is exciting and that works together, that lives together, that even has narrators, like that to me is the ultimate. And it as I said, not easy to do, but it's but but for those who do it well, it's very magical.
0: Yes. Wow. I think that you have like a PhD in <laughs> like, stuff. So like I in marketing have been successful because I can sometimes translate for um, the, the people that don't have their PhD in it. And I think that where sometimes people assume that curation means um, just removing, being stark, being austere. And um, and that, that is that is not the case. But I'll also say, uh, obviously, it takes time mm-hmm. to think about things and to feel those things all across those four dimensions that um, of which you spoke. And so, I do think it's accessible to everybody if they're just mindful as as well as heartful, meaning they're feeling it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's just going to be this like ever evolving process. And so, I guess you know, my point is is that it's Um, it's possible for everybody to kind of tap the power of curation from their closet to their friends. And it all just brings out a better, higher quality um, experience. And then of
1: course their lifestyle, right? It all just works together. So, um, and I know, I know we have to wind down for our second, uh, our second break, but the one point I'll make on that is, um, and as as you know, Jen, because you're part of the community, I launched this, learning platform, and it just, I just launched it about a month ago, and I have my first cohort of students at uh, Aesthetic Intelligence Labs, and the reason I did it, and I call it a foundational course, is I wanted to get people going down this process and actually provide uh, exercises and a community of fellow tastemakers that they could share their work. Um, and, and so I feel like it's some combination going through all of these steps leading up to curation of the doing and also having the, re, the, 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 having the community of people who can give you good feedback uh, and encouragement. Ultimately, you know, I do believe you can unlock a lot of value, whether it's in your mm-hmm. career, it's in your company, it's in your brand, but I don't think the driver should be unlocking value. I think the driver should be learning how to express yourself as fully as is possible and mm-hmm. in the process knowing that not only will it be a very rich experience but how well received it'll be by others around you.
0: Yes, really well said. So you can't let the kind of inauthentic drive, trying to be authentic, right? Like you're not just trying to reach an end goal; you're in it for the experience
1: and what you're in it for the experience that you, that you, the enjoyment that you have, as well as mm-hmm. the enjoyment you can give others. Because at the end of the day, you know, most of what what we buy and what we, you know, what what we do is replaceable. There's very little of our normal routine or our buying decisions that is essential. So this idea of giving pleasure and taking pleasure is one that I think it should be the driver. So so we we do have to take another quick break. Um, I could go on with you, Jen, forever. And of course I could go yeah. on this topic forever, yeah. um, but we'll just have a few minutes to wrap up at the end. And, um, and actually I'm gonna turn the tables and I wanna know about aesthetic intelligence and your business, okay. uh, so stay with us talking about aesthetic intelligence, its power to transform sectors. I'm here with dear friend, Jen Bolden, uh, who is a fellow Aesthet, and uh, we'll be right back.
0: We now return to Tastemakers with Pauline Brown on Sirius Stars.
1: Welcome back to Tastemakers. We are here in our final segment. I'm here with Jen Bolden. We've been talking this hour about aesthetic intelligence, a topic that is very close to my heart. And before the break, we um, we 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 talked a bit about the process and the steps, the main four main pillars that people go through to develop their own aesthetic intelligence. And I mentioned that I came up with some uh, exercises, and some of them take a long time and a lot of thought. So we're not going to talk about them here. But I am going to talk about four of the eight or so what I call taste hacks, and they're sort of quick, you know, things that help define what what you know what drives you what are the sort of what's the root of a lot of things that might be ultimately setting your style and your very individual taste so i'm going to ask jen uh, at least a couple of these taste hacks and she is not she has not seen them before so she's not going to know and so she should just say the first thing that comes to mind even if she regrets it afterwards, I don't think she will. (laughs) Okay. So the first one is if your style icon, if you had to think of one person living or dead, someone, you know, or someone who is famous who represented for you in that person's entirety, sort of the ultimate in a style that you would aspire for and relate to who would it be? Grace Kelly. Yeah, I can see it. (laughs) And, And I just have to ask Is it the fact that, you know, was it, was there was was something about um, the country girl meets the sophisticate?
0: Yes, absolutely. And that she had this little wild side
1: to her, even though she was just so classy. Mm. Okay, another one, I'm gonna call the, I call this one the beauty mark. And it's uh, an object that you bought, so not wasn't a gift that you have sentimental value, but an object that you bought that, you love and you love it. it makes you feel good every time you use it not because it delivers this sort of service that makes your life easier or not you don't love it simply for the functionality but just how it makes you feel when you look at when you feel it what's your yeah. beauty mark
0: okay so right now i'm actually wearing it and there is a, a solid gold basically coin with a lion on it i'm a leo and a uh, gold Just feels like, I don't know. I put it on and it's like giving me a a boost of, Mm -hmm. I don't know, the little charge. And I just, I've, and there's something that's like, I, I, I might be embarrassed to say this, but there's something that I love about Regal. Mm -hmm. Um, But meanwhile, I have dirt under my fingernails. Okay. (laughs) So, You know, it's all these like contrasty things. Um, But I do love the kind of like regal element of Mm. of gold coins and how it makes me feel. And Mm -hmm. just kind of like leveling up in all different circumstances, meaning, like, if I'm wearing something that's so regal, like, would it would, it, would a queen ever speak badly about somebody? Would it, not, again, I'm not trying to be a queen, but you,
1: do you see where I'm- I love it. No, I'm all for contrast. I always say that, you know, the, the, I've got that sort of old world Viennese backdrop and then this sort of edgy, shocking New Yorker in me. And when those yes. two pieces come together, I'm at my best. Uh, okay, so the last one I have time for, uh, I wish we had a lot more time, because I keep going on these taste hacks, is what I call an eyesore. It's an object that you have, much like the beauty mark you bought it, you still use it, you haven't thrown it out, but it irritates you for one reason or another on how it makes you feel.
0: Like, I'm 47 years old, and I'm really proud to say nothing, but that took me a really long time to get to.
1: Ah. Wow, you 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 have worked hard. I've never gotten that answer before. I, yeah. I've gotten alarm clocks. <laughs> I've gotten uh, dirty keyboards uh, at the computer. You you really are living your best life. You have no no eyesores. I have no
0: eyesores. And um, in fact my 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 mom friends are like, how do you not have any plastic toys in your house?
1: <laughs> how don't you? Well, that's, a, that's a discussion for another day we're out of time okay, <laughs> okay. well I gotta have you back uh, there's a lot of discussions for another day uh, I do want to talk about your farmhouse I want to talk about our furry friends uh, so I'm going to have you back sooner rather than later um, meantime for our listeners out there who would love to learn more about hire you well, where, where can they go you have a great They're- blog by the way
0: Thank you. So it's com. So um, H-I-G-H-E-R-U, like university.com. And um, it's just, we have a blast and we definitely have a kind of a roadmap for success if you're interested in making
1: impact and income. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Um, and uh, well, thank you again, uh, way too little time to cover a lot of topics, including the one that I dedicated a lot of my life to. So uh, look forward to having you back. Um, And thanks again for participating from Santa Barbara. Thanks as always to my producer, Sierra Kayser, and to our sound engineer, Mark Affalo. You've been listening to Tastemakers. We look forward to reconnecting next week.